Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. You know, I've installed a lot of doors, you know, interior doors mainly, in the houses that we have lived in over the years. And uh, I, um, I started in ancient times installing doors. What do I mean by ancient times? Before YouTube videos. I sort of figured it out on my own. The outcome was sort of like this. Some doors I had to take back down and cut the bottom off. Uh, the latches wouldn't always fit, had to chisel a bit more to make them fit. And there was one door, wife Esther, that just continued to squeak, didn't it? <laughs> the hinge wasn't installed right. And, uh, but I installed a lot of doors. And, uh, and then last year, we're building this smaller cottage in the Perry Sound area. Uh, had an excellent builder put up all the heavy stuff, put up the shell, and I'm doing the lighter work, the, the interior, putting up doors. But before he left, because he was an excellent builder, I said, can you show me how you install doors? And he started at the top. He just leveled it. I never started there. He started at the top level, and then he just knew how long each side should be, and he just had it done so quickly and so smoothly and so perfectly. I installed the other five doors perfectly. And I said to Esther when I was done, I said, I just wish I could go back to all the doors that I've installed in the past and reassemble them, reinstall them. Uh, the 12 disciples were like that. They, they had their own way of praying. They probably heard their mom and dad in their Jewish homes praying to uh, Jehovah, to Yahweh, to Adonai. They, uh, they certainly would have known some of the traditional Jewish prayers, and they likely had heard a time or two those loud Pharisees <laughs> belting out their long prayers to impress other people. Uh, and, 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 but their prayers that they had didn't have the same outcomes that they noticed Jesus did. When Jesus would have this closeness with, with, with God, and then he would go out and with 100% success just minister so powerfully and beautifully to people. And so they said, Jesus, teach us to do that. Teach us to pray. Uh, we're at a place we need to reassemble the way we pray. And what Jesus provided them with was never intended to be, it's beautiful when we use the Lord's Prayer as a prayer when we're together, but it was never intended to be a, re, a ritualistic prayer to recite in, in gatherings. It, it was Jesus showing us how to approach God and then how to pray about all the different areas of our world and our lives. And so when Pastor Jonathan uh, designed this series, Reassembling Prayer, 
it's not really a series about, let's just take a fresh approach to the Lord's Prayer. Let's just sort of give it some extra ingredients and beef it up a bit in meaningfulness. No, the, the, the series is about us getting at what Jesus was getting at when he said, when you pray, here's how I want you to pray. Um, it's about asking Jesus to help every one of us, however many years we prayed, however many decades, Lord, reassemble prayer. I hunger and thirst for more of you, Lord. I, I, I need you more in 2024 than I've ever needed you before. So it's not just like reassembling prayer, like the, uh, the Wall Street Journal. I found this article where they, they, they took just seven words of the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, and gave them to lawyers to say, can you put this in legalese? Here's what they came up with. Here's how they reassembled prayer, all right? Give us this day our daily bread. We respectively petition, request, and entreat that due and adequate provision be made this day and the date here and after subscribe for the organizing of such methods of allocation and distribution as may be deemed necessary and proper to assure the reception by and for said petitioners of such quantities of baked cereal products as shall in the judgment of aforesaid petitioners constitute a sufficient supply thereof. So we're going to take a different approach, okay? <laughs> Pastor Jonathan, during his sabbatical, spent a week with a great New Testament scholar, Norman Wright, and he made quite a gift to the church by just translating right from the Greek, the language that Jesus would have spoken, that his audience would have first heard him in, and just a very literal translation. And here's how he translates the first part of the prayer that we're going to be teaching about today. Our Father... In heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come, may your will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Our Father, why does Jesus say to start there? Because it's just like me learning to reassembling in my head. <laughs> how to uh, install a door by leveling it at the top and then aligning everything else I do after that from that point of levelness. Jesus is saying that all other parts of my prayers and your prayers will go into the rightful place when we start here, when we have a right view of God as our Father. Now, the disciples are much more comfortable going to God as Yahweh or God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And much easier. And Jesus could have instructed us. He said, you know, when you go to God, go to the sovereign creator. Go to and say to him, you are the one and all-powerful deity. And it would be true about God. So why does Jesus tell us when we start praying to call God Father because he wants us to know that the sovereign God Almighty of the universe wants closeness with his children, wants closeness with us. Now, I know what, I know what some of us are, are thinking. You know, it was just before Christmas, I was... Um, we live a little bit out in the country, and I was going across, there's just acres of uh, 
uh, of uh, woods and forest across the street from us. And I was going in there because Esther, I had my list of things she wanted to get to, you know, spruce and pine boughs and do to make a thingamajigger, you know what I mean? For, for Christmas decorations. And so I was just walking down the street. One of my neighbors came by and not unusual, pulled down the window. But he said to me, he says, I'm, I'm reading a book about Jesus. I said, what's the name of the book? I said, that's a good one. And, um, and he said, now I'm, I'm, I have no problem with Jesus. Even the Holy Spirit, what I'm struggling with is God. And I knew exactly what he was talking about because how many times have I heard that over, over the years? That people struggle with their view of God. Do you, know, do you know, and it's usually because, watch this, they're transferring the view or experience of their earthly father over to Father God. And they're trying to stick that on God. And if you were here New Year's Eve, maybe you heard Pastor Jonathan's great teaching about the wisdom that he learned from his earthly father. But not all of us have an earthly father like that. How would you describe your relationship with your father? Let's just look at some, some ways. Like, how do you go and say our father when maybe you didn't have a father on the scene? You don't even know who your father is or, or he, he, they're absent or... They're present, but they're actually absent. They're there, but who are they? You've never had a deep conversation with them. You really do not know who they are. Or or else it it can get worse than that. The father is broken from their own hurts. And of course, hurt people hurt people. It's like the the sins of the fathers are visited on their children, their children's children just keeps going on. That brokenness continues. Or else it even gets worse. The father is abusive. So it would be better if they weren't present. And so can you imagine going and saying, if you've had that kind of experience, and you say, our father. (laughs) Well, right away, what jumps into your head is either, who is he? Or he's distant. Or or, or it stresses you out. Or makes you want to run away. Uh, One afternoon in Edmonton, when I was pastoring there a number of years ago, sitting across in this brand new follower of Jesus. And she's, I'm really struggling. You've taught us how to pray to God as our father, but I can't call him father. And we got into the reasons and there were understandable reasons why. And I remember that day it, it, it hit me, you know? And so I, I took her into the gospel of John where Jesus said this, I and the father are one. And then he said this, he who has seen me has seen the Father. You want to know what almighty, sovereign God, creator of the universe actually looks like? Then take a good look at me. The person that sees me has seen the Father. So I said, here's your homework. Go, and I've told this to many people since, and it's been so healing and helpful. Go through any one of the gospels you choose and look at how Jesus treated children. And when you see that, say, God, that's what you're like. That's the way you treat me as your child. Every time you see the way he treats women, say, God, that's the way that you treat, if you're a woman, me as a woman. If you, if you see Jesus with, with, with a, a businessman, a tax collector who messed up and failed ripping off people, and 
and look at how Jesus corrupts, corrects him, but lovingly restores him. Say, God, that's the way you treat me. When you see the adulteress and how Jesus not only forgives, but restores her. Go and sin no more. Gets her into a new chapter of her life. Say, God, that's what you're like with me when I fail. Do you see it? Whatever you see of Jesus, his compassion, his justice, his loving correction as, as a father, yeah. Wherever you see that, pin that on God. Say, God, that is what you are like. In other words, reassemble your view. Here's the first truth today. Reassemble your view of who you're praying to. Jesus said this. Pray to our Father. What are the next words? Our Father in heaven. In heaven. Right away. He's, he's making the distinction, a very important and clear distinction. He's not the same as your earthly father. However good they were, He's your father in heaven. He is different. He is holy. He's got no brokenness issues. And he's not an absentee father. He's your father in heaven. How do we get to a place where we view the heavenly father without letting it get messed up by our experiences with our earthly father? You know, healing comes. Never forget this. Healing comes when you see God the father through Jesus the Son. And you don't just say like father, like son. You say like son, like father. Father in heaven. And then he says, may your name be honored. May your name be honored. You see, this is where it's not helpful for us to view God as something he is not. <laughs> as the head of a religion or an idol or those cringe moments even in Christianity where I hear people say, you know, just, I heard one person recently, they said, oh, you know, I just pray to the big guy in the sky. Or, you know, years ago, the man upstairs. As I got older, I saw that my dad was not as perfect as what I thought he was when I was younger, but I still respected him as my earthly father. How much more should we give respect and reverence to a perfect, holy, loving, completely just Father as God? He is worthy of honor. And how many have found the closer you get to Father God, the more you realize he is worthy of all honor and power and glory? The closer you get to him. I, I don't know how much reassembling uh, you need to do in order to see God for who he really is. But listen to me, dear one. Jesus does not want any one of us journeying with him fatherless. He wants us to know that he's the father of the fatherless, yes. But also because Jesus is with us, we have the father with us and we know exactly what the father is like and Jesus is the one who invites us to call him his Father, our Father in heaven. Your name be honored. Listen to Jesus when he tells people in the crowd about their Father God. He says, right in the same context of the Lord's Prayer, he says it right there in Luke. He says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Isn't that beautiful? Do not be, how many, in 2024, do not be afraid, little flock. Your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And that introduces, what is this about the kingdom? We live in a world where 
kings, queens. They may have uh, symbolic and sentimental power, but that's about it, right? Just the power of influence for the most part. So, so we're using the word rulership here. Heaven is where God's rulership, when it says this, may your kingdom come, may your will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. When we talk about his kingdom there, we're talking about his rulership, God's rulership. I'm glad that God's rulership can be totally trusted and fully followed. That's why, that's why heaven is a fear-free zone. It's a pride and selfishness-free zone. It, it, there's nothing of that kind of sinful stuff to mess it up. Where, where, where Father God rules, think of heaven now, where Father God rules, love is pure, justice is complete, and trust is safe, and peace and joy, they're forever. Forever. That, that, that's the kind of kingdom. When we pray, we're stating our intention to, intention to partner with God to bring that kind of heaven to people on earth. We're using the word rulership here, kingship. Now, when Jesus' boat pulled up on yet another crowd waiting for him on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and others would gather in when they heard that Jesus was there, Jesus would announce this, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of heaven has come to earth. Another time, have you ever heard Jesus, read Jesus saying this? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. At hand? What does that mean? It means it's now within your reach. <laughs> God's reaching out to you to include you into his kingdom. So when Jesus says, pray, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, he's basically saying this, reassemble your prayers until they are aligned with heaven's rulership. Now that would change my prayers around, <laughs> especially on a bad day. Reassemble your prayers until they are aligned with the rulership of heaven. Let's, let's take a look at who ruled people's lives when Jesus arrived because so many times we, 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 we don't think we're partnered with this almighty God and our, our father is wanting to work with us to bring his kingdom on earth. And so it, it's helpful to sort of see how Jesus pulls you and I out when we don't think that our prayers matter or we don't think that God is really, the Almighty God is really our Father. And, and so, look at this. The crowd that Jesus talks to about his kingdom and gives them the prayer that we talked about, here's how it starts. Large crowds from Galilee, that's no surprise, that's the Sea of Galilee area, northern Israel. The Decapolis, what's that? Those are the... Uh, historians tell us they are the 10 um, city-states that were established by Alexander the Great. Remember Pastor Jonathan and you and Dr. Van, we went there. Just so neat to see the, even the ruins of that, of that uh, Greek-populated city at the time of Jesus. Jerusalem, the Pharisees' headquarters was in Jerusalem, and, and you know, they're the religious police, <laughs> and they're going to be there when the topic's religion. Judea, that area, and the region across Jordan, even across the Jordan River, where present-day Jordan is, the country of Jordan, people came from there, Gentiles following him. And so, um, most people, though, in the crowd were poor. Agriculture and fishing and the service industry. 
That's where you found most of them. And so if you looked at the majority of people in the crowd and you said, who rules? <laughs> who rules today? They'd say three R's. The Romans, the rich, and the religious. They rule. Let's look at each of them. Rome. Rome was the, the one and only global superpower. I mean, it's amazing when you think about it. I spent a lot of time even during COVID just researching that whole area, listening to podcasts about history and Rome. And, and, you know, they ruled right up into England. You can go to England today and see Roman ruins all the way down into Europe, down into the Middle East, all the way south into India. That was the, the mighty Roman Empire that lasted for, for centuries. And they ruled with military superior, uh, superiority. I mean, they just moved into a territory and took over. And uh, if you wanted to live, you chanted the words, we have no king but Caesar. <laughs> and if you, not, you were persecuted. Uh, Romans didn't invent crucifixion, but they perfected it and they sure utilized it. Peacemakers, they were trampled on in the Roman Empire. The rule of Rome was really the rule of the bully where peacemakers are persecuted. And, and there was sort of like a Roman soldier around every corner in Jesus' day, especially, listen to me, when a popular leader showed up <laughs> and, and, and had thousands of people following them and listening to them. Can you imagine when Jesus shows up with this crowd along Galilee and Roman soldiers are standing there watching for some threat to the Roman Empire as one of their major responsibilities and they hear Jesus say, I've got a special announcement to make. The kingdom of God is here. He's saying really a new king has arrived. And then he, I have a special announcement to those of you who are persecuted. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. And those who are peacemakers, you are God's children. I can't imagine. They just they would have dropped their jaws and dropped their swords. I don't know. But the Roman Empire, it's gone, right? It's gone. But bully nationalism in 2024 is alive and well. I mean, Putin's Russia wants to rule a Ukraine in a resurrected Soviet empire. China is, wants to be an ever stronger superpower. Uh, persecuting any population that gets in its way. Uh, several Middle East terrorist groups say that their future is to push Israel from the river to the sea. I mean, this, and you hear about the younger generations are so terrified about growing up in the world and are afraid of what the future will look like. And what will? I mean, just, just say one year from now. Pastor John's up here. Jesus has not returned. What's our world going to be like? What issues will he be addressing at that time? I, what will it be like? I, I can't tell you. Pastor Jonathan can't tell you. But we can tell you this with certainty. The kingdom, if you're a follower of Jesus, the kingdom that we're living in will be thriving. The kingdom we're living in will be thriving and has a future. Listen, every other empire will perish. Every other superpower will ultimately have absolutely no power. Every bully leader that's speaking so loud in the world today 
will one day ultimately bow before the only rightful sovereign leader of the entire universe and say, you are the king of kings and you are the Lord of lords. Every one of them will. So don't miss, don't miss it. It'll be the peacemakers. And those were, were persecuted because they, they wouldn't back down from doing what was right. They are the ones that are ultimately going to be ruling and reigning with Jesus, and it is going to be forever and forever. And then, and then there's the, the rich were in the crowd that day. You know, you know what the prevailing view of money was? It's sort of like some of the prosperity gospel teachings we've heard about in recent years, but the prevailing view about money was that if you were rich, God's favor is obviously on you. If you were poor... God doesn't like you as much. You just, you know, you're sort of like karma. You haven't appeased the gods enough adequately, and so you're just sort of getting what you deserve. And so in Jesus' day, if you looked around at the crowd, the poor were exploited, slavery thrived, women and children were treated like property, and most of the crowd, you could easily find the rich. You know, along the prosperous people from the Decapolis, they were amongst them. You could see the other rich people. So it was the rule of the entitled, where poor are powerless. Can you imagine reaction of the rich in the crowd when Jesus says, you who have been told that God doesn't like you so much, you're poor, the kingdom of heaven is yours. What? Ours? Kingdom of heaven is yours. Now, fast forward to 2024, the year we're, we've just taken a few steps into. How many know we live in a world where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer and the middle class gets crushed by both sides? Last week, I heard a report that two days into the new year, the average Canadian CEO uh, had made more money than the average Canadian employee would make in the rest of the entire year. So just like Jesus' time, some things haven't changed, right? We still live by the golden rule in Canada. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. Jesus says, not under my rulership, even now, where, where, where Jesus rules the hearts of people on earth, you'll find the most generous people. Some of them are in this room and watching me online. The poor are cared for, hungry are fed, unignorable acts of goodness happen in the city that they live. And what about the religious? Remember I said three R's? Roman power, Rich power and then religious power. Now, the religious people in the crowd, when Jesus was teaching them these things, they were easy to spot. You, you could talk about, they had three R's of their own. Robes, rings, and rules. They had these long robes. They wore a ring that identified them as a, as a Pharisee. They belonged to the club, and they had rules. Their headquarters were in Jerusalem. A lot of them had come from Jerusalem to hear this Jesus, what's he saying? And the only thing that were longer than the robes they wore was their list of rules. 
They were like the religious police in the crowd, and they looked down on others as if you're inferior because you, you, you're not a Pharisee, you're not part of our religious group. Uh, you, that morning, for a lot of them anyway, their morning prayers would have included this thanksgiving to God, a Pharisee's prayer, morning prayer. God, I thank you that I was not born a woman or a Gentile. You know, a lot of religious people today they put their religion up. We're the ones. We're the right religion. Everyone else is an infidel. You're a rule breaker. You're a bunch of inferior beings. The Pharisees' rule was like that. It was the rule of the superior where lassers get the littlest from God. So I would love to have seen the faces, the contorted expressions on their faces. I think it would have looked like this. Because Jesus says, I've got another announcement to make. The meek, you're going to inherit the earth. And you can see some of the crowd, I mustn't have heard Jesus right. Who did he say gets it? Who does he say gets the whole earth? He couldn't have said meek. Because meek means weak. And it rhymes with geek. That can't be good. And so the meek get it all? What is Jesus saying? You know, in every generation of people of faith have had to guard against self-righteousness in our world. Sometimes I have a little Pharisee that wants to rise up and judge others even inside of me. We have to, we have to guard against it. You know, there's, there, today we live in a world where political allegiance trumps loyalty to Jesus. And, 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 and some of the most vocal Christians are those that seem to be saying hateful things. When Jesus says, you'll know that they're my followers, they'll be known by their love. Oh, never get to a place where if, you're, if we're following Jesus, where, where we actually practice or say or have attitudes that are the very sins that Jesus died on the cross to free us from. Let your earthly treatment of others represent our Lord Jesus. Right on? Let our attitude and our treatment of others reflect the character of our King. That's what Jesus calls us to do. You know, Jesus, in, in that crowd that day, yes, there were these rich and Roman power people and, and religious power people, but you know what? Jesus reached out to all the people, just like he asks us to in our crowded lives. And among the Roman soldiers, do you know that were those that placed their faith in Jesus? Remember the Roman centurion that had such faith in Jesus to heal his servant? Among the rich, there were so hungry. There were some that were so hungry for, uh, thirsting and hungry for righteousness that they traveled all the way from the Decapolis. It would have been several days' journey just to come and get into the presence of Jesus. And it wasn't just Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea who were among the Pharisees that turned to Jesus. There's a whole group of them recorded in Acts 15.5, Pharisees that are part of the church family. How many, how many know that that's what peacemakers do? <laughs> they reach out to people, regardless of their political allegiances, whether they're rich or poor or religious or, or atheist, as long as we are on earth, we pray and we live to see other people experience God's heaven on earth. Right on?
That's what we're here for. That's what peacemakers do. By the way, have you noticed in Jesus' prayer, so far, he hasn't even asked us to pray for our own personal needs yet? How many of you that's the first thing we, we can do? <laughs> I know I've done it. Rush into the presence of God and say, I got this grocery list. Got these things and I need something to move up to top priority. You need to get these done by Friday or else. We, we haven't even prayed for our own personal needs. Jesus says, I want to teach you to reassemble prayer. And he says, so far, it starts with turning to God as your loving father and honoring him. And secondly, pray for his kingdom to happen on earth in the lives of others. And yet so many of my prayers are, you know, I'm bringing my stresses to the Lord. And I'm not going to him as father and I'm not praying about his kingdom on earth. But watch what happens. You know what happens when I say, Father in heaven, I hallowed you. I start to worship him. And I pray, God, your kingdom come. There's so many people in this world that have needs. Your kingdom come. I pray for others, your will to happen. You know what happens in me? I have an awareness of God's presence. My own requests are put into perspective because I'm praying about the needs of others. So by the time I get to praying for my daily bread or for forgiveness or for my trials and temptations, I have confidence that the one I'm praying to has power to help me and that he cares about my needs. Oh, in the next two weeks, Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Jessica are going to help us understand how we can bring every piece of our lives before the Lord, every piece of our lives. So let's, let's just end and move into a prayer time in a moment with this truth, all right? Reassemble all the pieces of your world under Jesus' rulership. There's a dad that uh, came home from work, stressful day at work, and he was looking forward to some, some time just to decompress in his easy chair. And, uh, the, but one of his kids came up and said, Dad, will you play with me? Will you play with me? And the dad said, no, in a minute. And he got his newspaper. He just wanted a few minutes just to sort of, you know, regain his equilibrium. <laughs> and, and, and the child, you know, less than a minute later was saying, Dad, will you play with me? Will you play with me? And so the dad noticed in the newspaper he was reading that there was a, a picture of, of the globe, you know, the world. And so he just tore it out of the newspaper. He, he tore it up into a dozen or so pieces. He gave it to his kid and he says, here, put this together. Put this together, put the world together, and then we'll play. And so the kid was back less than a minute later, and his dad said, how did you do that so fast? He said, it was easy. When I turned them over, there was a picture of a, of a man. And when I put the man together, the world turned out right. <laughs> that, that's what Jesus is saying here. You see, he's, he's more concerned about who you are than what you do, what you become than what you want, so he, he wants you to come close to him as his father. Matter of fact, you know how Jesus ends this whole teaching about prayer? In Matthew chapter 6, he says this. He says, you know, your heavenly father knows about your needs. He says, your, your heavenly father knows you need these things. Make your top priority God's kingdom and his way of life. And all these things will be given to you as well. Let, let God uh, address bringing wholeness to you, putting you together and all these other things will turn out. Do you see that? 
So, so let's just go before God. Let's just take the last minute of our time together here before we turn our attention to other good things. Let's just take a moment. Just, just come before God now with me. Online, in this room. How many, when you say our Father, you just immediately you, you, you go to distance or you, you back off? No, no, just, just think of Jesus. Think of his compassion, his forgiveness. Think about he, he, he died for you, gave us all for you. Think of his care for everything in your life. That, that's like son, like father. That's what your father is like, our father. You're not like an earthly father, you're in heaven. And we worship you. May your name be honored, Lord. Thank you that we can trust your love. We can relax and it's safe to be with you, Father, as your children. And to just open everything in our lives before you. Lord, we we start with you and then we align every other area of our life. We seek first your kingdom. You're our top priority. So may your kingdom come and your will be done, Lord. Every person we are concerned about, every family member, every health need we have, every financial or fear of the future that we have, we just align it all, Lord, knowing we have a a father whose kingdom is going to outlast all of these things. So may your kingdom come, may your will be done as in heaven, so on earth. We look forward to rulership with you in heaven someday. Until then, we partner with you, Lord, to bring, to bring your kingdom of heaven to earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.